All right, our reading today comes from Isaiah 8. If you want to uh, get your Bibles or mobile devices out, we're, really, we're going to do um, what I call an expository sermon really on this text, so it's going to be hitting quite a bit of it. It might be nice to have in your hands. Isaiah 8, 11 through 22, and this section is entitled, uh, Fear God, Wait for the Lord. For the Lord spoke thus to me, with his strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary, and a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem." And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dread on behalf of the, li- the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So the beginning of the sermon is about what I just talked about with the kids. I, I looked pretty cool in high school. Anybody? All right. Admit it. Who had a mullet in here? Just, okay, maybe, maybe I wasn't one of the cool kids. There's, well, I guess you guys are cool, so yeah. Um, yeah, I grew a mullet, and uh, I don't think there's any pictures on earth of that, I hope. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but that's, uh, I, the reason I bring that up is because, well, we like to go along with the crowd. And to resist against what the crowd is doing is frowned upon. I mean, would people got mad at me if I didn't have a mullet? No, they wouldn't have got mad at me, but... Um, well, I also dressed a certain way. I had, uh, anybody remember the stonewashed jeans? Does anybody remember rolling their jeans? Who rolled their jeans? Oh, yeah, there we go. That's something more. Okay. And then, um, you know, I, I met my, my wife in 1990, so it's kind of the 80s still, especially in Iowa, because uh, we're always two years behind the rest of the world. <laughs> Aren't we? We're always two years behind. So, um, but she had the big hair. You know, I'm talking, she's like five, three and a half, but her hair made her look like five, eight. Because it was so, you know, the hairspray. And uh, she had the, the, what was it, the rugby shirts? The rugby shirt, remember those? Uh, you young people Google the 80s, and uh, you'll, you'll understand what I'm talking about. But why did we kind of dress ridiculously like that? Well, it's because that's what the crowd does. And we all want to fit in. We all want to be kind of part of the crowd. I used to always wear the, um, I was kind of a prep too, right? So I always had the, I, would have, I actually was kind of a collared shirt, you know, untucked uh, with stripes, this, I guess it came all the way back around again um, from the 80s. But the idea of resisting against the cultural trends, that's, you know, there's a lot bigger things than fashion to resist against. 
Well, we see our text today, Isaiah is being told to really, well, go against what the crowd wants. This text comes from a time when the Assyrians are threatening to take over uh, Jerusalem and the people are freaking out. And so, you know what they want to do? They want to say, let's find an ally. Let's find somebody, another country that's going to help us so we can defend ourselves. And God says, no, I'm, I'm good. You just need me. You don't need anybody else. Don't, don't do that. And he sends Isaiah to convey these messages, and they think, well, they think Isaiah's the one who's conspiring against them. It says, for the Lord spoke thus to me. With his strong hand upon me, he warned me not to walk in the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. And these are conspiracies against God. Not the, you know, moon landing or, uh, you know, whatever conspiracy theories are out there. These are conspiracies against God and his plans. And Isaiah said, we are going to do what God says, not what the world would say to do. In fact, they turn it back on Isaiah and say, well, you're, you're part of the enemy if you're going against what we're doing. And he's feeling much resistance from the crowd. And typically, prophets like himself... Well, this, their track record isn't good. They pretty much just kill them all. So, you know, going against the crowd, especially as God, even as God's prophet, is dangerous. And uh, it's hard. And this idea that they are fearing things, he commands God to not fear, or commands Isaiah not to fear what they're fearing. So they're fearing, you know, the Syrians are going to come in and take them over, make them slaves. That's a worthy fear. So what is... What is our world, what do we have fear about, right? We have, well, fear of missing out. I guess that was one of them if you're not doing what the crowd does. Like I had FOMO when I was a teenager for sure. But what about um, the economics? I, I looked it up. Uh, what a dollar bought in 2020, you need a dollar 25 now, which is why they, I think the dollar tree became the dollar 25 tree now. Is that right? That, it is. Mathematically, it's exactly the same. So you, take, you need 25% more money to buy the same stuff you did uh, just three and a half years ago. How about um, violent crime? Uh, we've seen a rise in violent crime. In fact, there was uh, some shots fired at somebody three blocks from my house in Grimes, Iowa. That's not normal. That's kind of weird. I've lived there for 20 years. Never anything like that has ever happened. How about health issues? I mean, we know lots of people that have health issues. We pray for them. We have lots of things going on with our health. Um, you think there's any political division out there? Uh, yeah, there's. And, uh, of course, Iowa gets put in the microscope here in 100 days, I heard it is, or something until that's going to be over. How about cybersecurity? Uh, getting hacked. Uh, I teach at DMAC. We got hacked two summers ago, and every time I have to authenticate every app through my phone, I remember... Oh, yeah, there was a hacker in Eastern Europe who got into... Good thing we, we actually counter-hacked that guy, I guess. The feds were very impressed that we even tried that. So. But that's a real threat. It's uh, cybersecurity. Natural disasters, COVID. I had to wear a mask again in a nursing home recently. There's a lot of things in this world that we fear, but God says that's not what you're supposed to fear. It says, but the Lord of hosts... Him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of fence and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, 
and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. So Isaiah knows what he's supposed to fear and dread. We are, all taught, we are said that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You're like, well, what do you mean fear the Lord? What, what do you mean dread the Lord? So you and I know there's a real consequence to sin. There's a big problem with sinning, and this is why we confess and are absolved every Sunday. The fear and the dread comes to those, especially of God's people, when they know I'm a sinner, and without Christ, I am lost. I have eternal death. That is scary. That is a healthy fear, because what does that healthy fear do? It makes you turn, repent, and follow what God says, and then you hear his good news of his son who came to redeem you from that sin, to willingly sacrifice, to give a blood sacrifice for that sin, and now that you are joined with him in your life, in his life, death, and resurrection, in your baptisms, you have nothing to fear now. But this is good fear. This is good dread, to realize we have this God who is righteous and just, but he is also merciful, especially to his people. And then it talks about this rock of offense. If that harkens to the New Testament, it's cited here in 1 Peter 2, 6 or 8. It stands, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no shame for us, because we are found in Christ. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This self-hardening of people. People can harden themselves against what God says. They say, you know what, I, I don't, I'm not going to do what God says, I'm going to do what I want. This is a very American thing. I'm in control. I make my own destiny. I make my own way, and I do what I want. That's a very American thing. And God says, no, <laughs> you are not in control. You're not the one who makes these decisions. And this self-hardening of God's people in Isaiah's time, they're like, no, we, we're not going to listen to you, God. We need more than you and your word. We need something else. We need to put our trust in something else. Now, this great promise that they have that God is going to preserve his remnant through Isaiah. This is wonderful. It says, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will, and this is where it switches to first person for Isaiah here. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. So Isaiah says, you know what? Me and my family and these disciples, these followers who actually are keeping the faith in God and his promises, it's going to preserve. It is preserving what we call the messianic church that in the future there will be a fulfillment of the promises of God that will save us from all of these enemies. So there's this 
resistance from the crowd to do what God says. And Isaiah says, you know what, for me and my house, this is the way we're going to roll. This is what we're going to do. The writer of Hebrews cites this in uh, 2.13. Again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God and the children God has given me. That's you and I. We put our trust in God. We have this faith, the gift of faith that preserves us. We are his church on earth. And God has always fulfilled his promises. He has always worked through his people. And we see this story from about 735 B.C. That's a long time ago. It's still the true today. We still need to trust in God. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people of inquire of their God? Should they inquire on, on the dead on behalf of the living? So who do we inquire when we need guidance? In that day, they called them mediums and necromancers, people who talk to dead people. You guys have all heard of psychics, right? They can talk. Or anybody reads their horoscopes? They're consulting mediums, people that talk to dead people. Everywhere in Scripture, this is, oh, this is a negative thing. We are not to talk to, try to even attempt to talk to people who have died. Now, if you've ever, I've talked to people who have gone to psychics, and these people have said, wow, they, they talked to my dead relative, and they were spot on. There's no way they could have known that. And I, I swear, it must have been a message from the grave to me. And whenever I hear that, I get really nervous, because either A, that person is a charlatan and has taken their money and fooled them into thinking, or B, there's something of the occult, something demonic that's being used to trick that person into trusting what this person, the psychic, or this person that's been dead instead of God and his word. It totally redirects. So if you're ever in that situation, flee it as quick as you can. Do not try to talk to anybody who says they can talk to somebody who's dead. Uh, let's talk to my wife. She's like, well, you know, when you were little kids, we found a Ouija board up in the attic. And don't do that either. You're, you're trying to consult things that are not, consult God and his word. Listen to him, not the, not the dark forces. Seek the light, seek Christ. And then it says, uh, to the teaching, the testimony, if they will not speak according to his word, it's because they have no dawn. This is a very hard Judgment that God is putting upon even his own people who have stopped believing in him. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they're hungry, they will be enraged and speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. Things are going to go horrible for these folks, and they're going to blame God for it. They're going to blame their king. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness." That thick darkness is, well, that would be hell. That is a horrible place, and no one wants to go there. And I wish that on no one as well. And whenever I hear about someone who has rejected God, who denies Christ, and when they pass away, I mourn. I hurt. 
and so should we. I don't, we should never be happy when even an, what would say an evil person dies because if they're eternally separated from the one living God. So seeking solutions without God and guidance. So what do we do then? What does our culture do? I took a systematics class, fancy word for how's the Bible fit together, uh, this last spring. And one book they had us read was called All Things Shining. It's written by a couple sociologists that are like, all right, the way the world is right now, we don't believe in, we can't believe in God, so we are a bunch of random things that got put together and we won the cosmic lottery and here we are. But that view says there's no God, there's no purpose, there's no meaning, there's no value in life. And it comes out with what we call the default philosophy in the West right now, which is called nihilism. That's really hopelessness. And that might explain some of the things we're seeing happening in our culture. There's this hopeless situation for many people. So they're like, even these sociologists, these humanists are like, no, 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 no. We know that's bad. We, know we can't go with this hopelessness. And we know we can't go with God, so what can we do? So that, this book describes them going through essentially thousands of years of Western culture to say what is redeeming that we can point people to? What is sacred? You know what they come up with? This is so sad. Each human is now tasked to come up with their own reality, to come up with their own truth, to find their own life, and to find sacred in what they want to deem as sacred, like my morning cup of coffee, talking with my friend, a walk in the park. You need to have your sacred moments, and that's it. No eternal life, no salvation, you create your own reality, you get to define what's right and wrong. That's the solution from the humanist viewpoint. And it is so sad. It is so, it's awful actually. There is no hope in this world. There's no hope eternally for sure, but even right now it doesn't give hope because it doesn't give you purpose, it doesn't give you meaning, it doesn't give you value. You have all been given the gift of reality. <laughs> Look, we live in it. Look, you're embodying it. And the reality is Jesus Christ came for you, that you do have an eternal soul, and you will be reunited with your body on the last day. You do have a hope. You do have a purpose, and God gives you direction in his word. You don't have to figure this stuff out on your own. You don't have to go with the crowd. You don't have to be afraid of resisting the crowd as long as you are following Christ. Easy to say, <laughs> hard to do. But this is what the Holy Spirit has given to us. He gives us the ability to recognize who we are, recognize who God is, and then recognize in God's word how we're supposed to live this thing out as Christians. So the idea that the culture gives you is follow your heart. Well, when I follow my heart, I end up doing some things that aren't awesome. Because um, my heart is bent away from God. My heart is sinful. 
If, I def- if I'm allowing my heart to say what's right and wrong and what I should and shouldn't do, it's going to go sideways, period. Don't follow your heart. Follow Christ. He points you in the right direction. He's the one who saves you. He is with you all of the time. He lives inside of you. His spirit is here. So what's the hope? (laughs) The last words in this text are like darkness. Chapter 9 is wonderful. So I think it's time we're going to celebrate Christmas today. Because that was chapter 8, but right after this in chapter 9. Listen to this. This is called, Fear God, Wait for the Lord, because you know what? Christmas is coming. Here it is. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the promise of Christ. Isaiah said, I will wait on the Lord and I will trust on him. He had about 735 years later the incarnation of Christ. Now, you and I have the benefit of being on this side of that, but we too are waiting for Christ's return. It might be today, it might be tomorrow, it might be 735 years from now, it might be 10,000 years from now. I have no idea. But as the church, we wait for the Lord, we trust in Him. We're living between the first and the second advents. The first advent, Christ came and he did that saving work on the cross, lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law, became the the lamb who was slain. He's got these other mighty God, everlasting prince of peace, all these wonderful titles. Christ is so much. You have been given so much through him. This is the great thing about being a Christian. We don't have anything to fear. Not even death itself, because what did Jesus do? He killed death on the cross. He became sin, and it was killed. And he was raised on that third day. You and I will be raised on the last day, bodily raised. This Thursday, we're gonna have a funeral for Ramona. Devout Christian woman wonderful servant of Christ. One of the texts is Revelation 21, and we did Revelation last year, and it says there will be no more tears, no more death, no more crying. None of that will be here at the resurrection. We are waiting for that day as well. We're waiting for the day when we get reunited with all who have gone before us in the faith. We get new bodies. All of the bad stuff is gone. No more darkness. It's just light. So I encourage you as God's people, don't worry. Well, don't worry about your fashion so much, but I mean, you know, if you like a mullet, go ahead. But don't go along with the crowd and resist the crowd that wants to tell you that there's hope in something besides Christ. Don't go along with the crowd who wants to say you're, you're just a random bunch of things that got together. No, 
You were created by God in his image for eternity to live with him. You are of the highest value of all creation. Don't go with the crowd that wants to diminish life. Go with the crowd that says this life is awesome now and it's forever in Christ. You have your meaning, you have your purpose, and you have your direction found in God's word. So I pray as we go out today and embody God's church to the world, that we be encouraged, that we don't fear what the world fears, that we trust in God and his promises, that we wait on him, that we don't take things in our own hand, we let God do his thing, and we do look forward to his second coming on that last day, the new heavens and the new earth. And as God's people, we should proclaim his name with a smile on our face. This is, this is what the abundant life is, being found in Christ today and on the last day. Amen? Amen. Will you stand? Oh, no, no. Sit, 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 sit. We got to let the kids come in. I always screw that up. <laughs> Reflex to tell you to stand. Sorry. Stay seated. The, little, the, the young kids have to see their parents, and if you're standing, it's hard to see them. So, um, but will you pray with me? How's that? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the guidance you give us in your word. Thank you for giving us this wonderful world and an eternity with you. Thank you for not making us figure this all out on ourselves, that we can trust in you, that we can wait on you. We have purpose and meaning in you. So as your people, let us continue to proclaim our praises to you and keep pointing with this world of darkness towards the light found in your son, Jesus. Amen.